begin. All right. Welcome to Mass Ave. Um, I'm Emily Vanderbush. This is Tommy Binion. Tommy, how was your weekend? My weekend was awesome, yeah. but uh, not as exciting as I am excited about this week's show on Mass Ave. You're excited to talk about healthcare again? You know what? Th- this is probably the busiest week on the Hill all year. Yeah. Uh, next week is July 4th recess, Independence Day recess, and um, uh, they're trying to cram in a lot before uh, that recess gets started, not the least of which is the Senate uh, health care bill, which is finally here. The, the draft was unveiled late last week, and there's uh, there's a lot of good stuff to di- dive into, and, and I get excited about that kind of thing, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, it should be interesting. I know that that's been the big topic of conversation ever since they announced their bill text last week, I believe. Yeah, have, they, you, they, have you had a chance to look at it? I have looked at yeah. it, um, and I've looked at all the analysis. Lots of commentary coming out on it. Obviously, yeah. um, the majority leader says we're going to have a vote on it this week, which you know that could change. Things in Congress often change, but uh, it looks like we're going to have a voterama, which means all the senators are going to have a chance to offer all the amendments they want. That's that's a guarantee on any bill offered um, under reconciliation, and then we're going to have a vote on final passage. There are uh, there are uh, a few five at this point uh, Republican senators who have said that they uh, won't vote for the bill as it is. So we're certainly going to see uh, an amended product before it crosses the finish line. Uh, so lots of work still to be done. Well, today's Monday, yeah. uh, and we're expecting a CBO score. Uh, the recording of this is happening on Monday for all you listeners. It may take us uh, till yeah. Tuesday morning to get it out. But just so you know, that's how podcasts work. By the way, we we pre-record. This <laughs> is not, live. but we're. Recording it on Monday. We're expecting a CBO score today, um, and we're going to talk about that later in the show. Yeah, and uh, we'll have Drew Goncharowski. Um, we've had him on before talking about the CBO report of the House version of the health care bill, so it will be interesting to hear his feedback on the Senate version. This is important, obviously, but I want to say at the top, it it is not the end-all, be-all. One of the things that... Um, the public and the media and even to some extent lawmakers will focus on with the CBO report is how many people are covered. Keep in mind, Obamacare mandated that everybody go out and get coverage. Uh, So repealing that mandate, which is a good thing, is going to affect that number. But I'll also say uh, a very important metric in considering any health care bill is the the cost of premiums. That's way more important Mm -hmm. than how many people are covered. We're going to see voluntary coverage numbers go up. The cheaper we can get health insurance premiums. So uh, it's important to focus on the cost of health insurance just as much as it is to focus uh, on the coverage number, which will, of course, draw all the attention from the CBO score. Yeah, I think that that's a a focus that you don't hear a lot of in the commentary from the commentary coverage from uh, the Senate health care bill, that's for sure. Other news of the day uh, on Capitol Hill. So, as, as we said at the top, it's a very busy week. Um, the House is going to act on Kate's Law. Uh, this is a, a bill that is now just about a household name. Of course, um, named after the victim uh, of uh, uh, the murder victim of an illegal alien who had been uh, deported several times in San Francisco. Um, this bill uh, enacts a mandatory minimum for uh, felon illegal aliens who are caught punished for their crime, deported, and now have been caught again. Um, This is a major step on immigration enforcement. Of course, it's a bill we've been hearing about for over a year now. Uh, So they're going to act on that. They're cracking down on sanctuary cities. The Mm -hmm. House is going to move a bill called No Sanctuary for Criminals Act. Uh, And then lastly, the House is going to do a major medical malpractice liability reform bill. 
so uh, that's a that's a that's a blockbuster week in terms of legislative accomplishments um, in the House. So we'll keep an eye on that. I presume all three of those bills will pass, but there'll be close votes. So it'll be important to pay attention to that. Uh, one last thing to mention about the House: mm-hmm. people are starting to clamor. Uh, to cancel August recess. I remember reading about that. Do you think it's going to happen? Well, I don't know. It, 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 it would be virtually unprecedented. Yeah. Uh, but they, they haven't had very much luck enacting their agenda as of yet. There's, of course, um, let's see here, three weeks in July after this uh, Independence Day recess and then three weeks uh, scheduled to be in session in September. They've got to do government funding. Uh, mm-hmm. By September 30th, they've got to lift the debt ceiling. They've got to reauthorize the FAA. They've got to reauthorize uh, CHIP, the uh, Children's Health Insurance Program. Uh, that's all the must-pass stuff. And then, of course, it's repeal Obamacare and tax reform, regulatory reform, Dodd-Frank reform, all the pieces of their agenda that are left undone. That's a very big to-do list to leave hanging out there for a five-week vacation. Yeah, very big indeed. I guess we'll find out how much they they accomplish in the next few weeks. The big decision uh, for the Republican leadership to make. Okay, we're going to have Rachel Gressler here talking about the agency reorganization plan over at OMB. Hey, Rachel, welcome to Mass Ave. We're so glad to have you. Thank you for having me. Got a a really interesting topic uh, with you this week. Um, The... Uh, Office of Management and Budget is is leading the charge on reorganizing all of the agencies within the federal government. Tell us a little bit about this project. Yes. So under an executive order from the president, he has asked the OMB to begin on this massive restructuring program, have each of the agencies <laughs> dig down deep and say, what are we doing effectively? What are we doing ineffectively? Is there duplication here with another agency? Is there waste? Is there abuse and fraud going on? How can we better restructure who's doing what within the agency? And so just take a comprehensive look and see what they would like to change and then come up with a plan of here are the things that we would like to do and see what is possible under the president's authority and what might need congressional approval there. So what are some of the the big things that Heritage might be recommending? Well, we're looking first at our budget blueprint. Okay. Um, and so we have a, about 160 proposals within there. And so each of those could fall into this restructuring plan. Some of them are eliminating agencies. Some are merging others together, mm-hmm. um, changing processes such as within the disability insurance um, program, Social Security as well. And so we've submitted all of these proposals or most of those proposals. And then we're also looking just at ways to change how things operate within the agencies. And so you could look at federal compensation for federal employees. Overall, they receive significantly higher compensation than the private sector. And so what are some ways that we can bring that compensation in line? And that could actually be good for both the employees themselves and for the taxpayers who are financing it. So how comprehensive is this effort? You know, most of us hate Washington. We, we think the federal government is utterly dysfunctional. We want our taxpayers, our, our, our tax dollars back. Certainly this host wants his tax dollars back. But, um, it, you know, so, so this plan is, is music to my ears. We're going to reorganize mm-hmm. the federal government. We're going to put some uh, some free market principles in there. We're going to put some business principles in there. And we get, we're going to uh, right size, hopefully, the federal government. Am I too optimistic? How, how, how ambitious is this project of President Trump's? Well, it's hugely ambitious. And so the agencies can come hugely. up with these. Uh, that's a very Trumpian word. <laughs> Bigly would work, too. Sorry to cut you off. They can come up with any plans that they would like to do, any, you know, elimination, reorganization, 
shifting things all over the place, but not all of those proposals will be possible. And so the president does have some significant authority to do things to change the way, especially within the structure of the agencies. Mm -hmm. But as far as just outright eliminating whole agencies or departments within, um, a lot of those can't be done just through the president's authority itself, unless it was a very recent you know, office within a particular agency. There's some of those that he can get rid of. But for the most part, Congress is going to have to come alongside the president to enact if it's really a sweeping reform. You're going to need both Congress and the president here. And how likely do you think Congress would be to cooperate on those kinds of reforms? I think that depends in part on how this how it all boils up. And mm-hmm. so whether it is just piecemeal things saying right. here, are, you know, maybe there's a, a couple dozen things that both Democrats and Republicans will agree on. Yes, this is just wasteful and inefficient. And we would like to change that. But there's going to be a lot of other things that there is disagreement on. And so if you right. package them all together, the question is, well, are people willing to support it, even though they know there are things in there that they don't like where they do the other things? Or is it a piecemeal approach? And who is it that's taking the reins? If it's the president, then you have a little more partisan opposition because it's his project and he's running the show. And so Democrats would probably be less inclined to support it. If you give Congress some authority and say, hey, you do what we've asked the agencies to do and you know work with the agencies and see what it is that you like that they've submitted, then there might be a little more momentum and support to actually pass something. Is this um, is this one of those things that 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 all presidents do, or is this one of those things that's an original Trump idea that mm-hmm. uh, you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty years from now will be part of his legacy? Well, it would be a new thing within recent decades. So actually between 1932 and 1983-84, presidents had significant reorganization authority. And so they could submit a plan to Congress that had everything in there they wanted for reorganization. And as long as Congress didn't vote against that, then that would go through. In 83, they changed it and they said, well, Congress, both houses have to proactively vote for this. And if they don't, then it dies. And then beginning in 84, they just stopped reauthorizing this authority. And so since then, the president hasn't had that authority that they did in the past. So one option would be if Congress were to reauthorize the authority, the president would have a little more power to at least submit this proposal and have Congress voted up or down. But as it stands right now, there are a lot more limits than there were for previous presidents. Uh, so what's the timeline on this? You know, uh, the news isn't focusing on this. So we're not hearing a lot about mm-hmm. looming deadlines and, 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 and possibilities and, and potential action on this. Lay out the timeline for us. When is this going to become real? So the public and any private groups or companies were asked to submit recommendations through June 12th. And then on June 30th is when the agencies have to submit their initial draft proposals. So here's what we want to include. Between June 30th and September, the agencies will be working with the administration and seeing what they recommend and whether or not the administration agrees with that. By the end of September, they'll come up with final submissions with the intent to start you know, rolling those out in the new year. Well, we're really looking forward to this. Those of us that uh, are, are interested in the government and interested in uh, shrinking and reorganizing and, and, and refocusing um, the government. I'm excited about the heritage proposals for this. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Mass Ave is a product of the Heritage Foundation. And, uh, often uh, we forget to say just how proud we are of the Heritage Foundation. That's really that's what this show is about. It's about bringing um, all of the really uh, just insanely interesting stuff that happens on this mm-hmm. building. Steps from Capitol Hill on Mass Ave. Uh, <laughs> 
to the podcast, Mass Ave, and ex- exposing this to to our listeners. So, Rachel, we're really glad to have had you this week. Thanks so Thank much you. for uh, helping us look into the OMB, and and, and great job um, uh, organizing our submissions for the reorganization. Great job. Thank you. And we'll be back with more Mass Ave. Did you know you can now listen to all of our events through SoundCloud or just by visiting our events page on heritage.org? You now have access to hundreds of events and compelling discussions on policy issues from your car, on the train, or the comfort of your own home. Visit heritage.org events for more information or search for the Heritage Foundation on SoundCloud. Hi, this is Rob Bluey, Vice President of Publishing and Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal. Check out Blueprint for Balance, a federal budget. This Heritage Foundation budget plan balances the budget within seven years and cuts spending by more than $10 trillion. To find it, go to heritage.org and search for budget or spending. And we are back with Mass Ave. We have Drew Goncharowski here with us. Um, he is our senior policy analyst with the Institute for Economic Freedom and Opportunity. He's also been doing a lot of research, as we mentioned earlier, on you know the different versions of the health care bill moving through the, the Senate. Uh, thanks for joining us, Drew. Hey, thanks for having me. So maybe give us, a, first of all, a little bit of context. What is in the new bill and where do you think it's going to go from here? So the new bill in the out of the Senate is actually pretty similar to the the House bill. Uh, it does some things a little differently. Uh, instead of creating a new tax credit, it actually sticks with uh, the ACA's tax structure, the Obamacare's tax structure, and makes some modifications to it. Uh, a lot of the changes in Medicaid are very similar, but it does sort of delay uh, the transition and rollback of Medicaid expansion a little more than the House bill as well. So one of the key parts of considering um, any major bill like this, especially under reconciliation, is the CBO score. And we know the CBO score is going to make news when it comes out today. It's going to be uh, a big splash. There's going to be lots of big numbers. We're not really going to know what they mean. Uh, help us um, help us anticipate that, and, and, and what should we be looking for out of that debate? Right. So the CBO score should, uh, once again, mirror what what the CBO score of the House bill looks like. And so you have to kind of put it in context. If you're effectively taking away a mandate and taking away coverage uh, that is effectively free in the Medicaid expansion, you would expect coverage losses once again. Uh, the magnitude is is pretty uncertain at this point. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to actually gauge what the CBO will do, uh, mainly because in the, in the Senate bill now we have this uh, expansion of using 1332 waivers uh, and it's very difficult for CBO or anybody trying to score these bills when, when they're sitting and looking at, well, what are states actually going to do? And they have to predict what the states will do and then translate that into uh, coverage estimates. That's that's very difficult. What what value do you put on a CBO score? I mean, I, you know, I, I think loosely understood the CBO does not put out the things that they assume when they're making a calculation. They they sort of describe how they got there, but they don't put out the specifics of their model. Is it something we should be paying attention to at all, uh, or, or or is it just you know it's just part of the process? Yes, we should be paying attention to it mainly because it it effectively can stop the reconciliation process. It can it can actually you know kill this piece of legislation depending on their score. Whether or not we agree with it, it's very important that we acknowledge that it exists and mm-hmm. that we have to we have to take them at their word. And and I, and I personally think the CBO is 
you know, well-meaning. It's a lot of academics. They, they're trying to do their best job, but this is a very difficult thing to score. Yeah, I remember when the CBO score came out for the House version, there was a lot of um, people reacted strongly to the lost coverage that was going to come as a result of the HCA. Uh, do you think there's going to be some similar issues with this version of the CBO score? Or Yeah, I, I yeah. believe that the, the coverage numbers... I mean, it's it's a it's a tough one to predict this time, but yeah, but I, but I think that it will be pretty large coverage losses. And I know that you've also written extensively on how Obamacare's um, you know insurance regulations have really harmed harm people. Do you think that the Senate version kind of does some to alleviate the this pressure? It it might, and and it comes through this this waiver process. It's it's definitely it doesn't go nearly as far as we think it should, and uh-huh. uh, it's it's effectively. Uh, a lot of I, I think I think the best way to think about it is it's it's a lot of marginal changes. Uh, it probably pushes us in the right direction, uh, but it, it should and could go a lot farther. You know, uh, I said at the top of the show that that, that what was going to be the big draw was the coverage numbers that we've been talking about. You know, in the House, it was twenty three or twenty four million. But I said that what from a policy standpoint, what I thought was important for lawmakers to consider was the cost of premiums, because you know, coverage numbers. I, I think it's important that people have health insurance, but I'm not sure that uh, you know one of the one of the chief ways that uh, Obamacare. Uh, increased coverage numbers was by legally mandating that people purchase health insurance. I think what matters from a good conservative policy standpoint is what is the cost of health insurance? If it's cheaper, if it's a better product, more people will buy it. Um, what can you say about uh, the, the the cost of premiums under this bill or, or, or whether or not the news will pay attention to that at all? Well, well, it's it's definitely easier for the news and, and for people to latch on to these large coverage losses. Uh, and, and it's also this thing where you think you think about the situation that we have and this, the strength that the CBO assumes with the individual mandate. It's this idea that, you know, people on Medicaid are going to no longer be on Medicaid simply because we're not requiring them, requiring them to get health coverage. It doesn't really make sense to me that, you know, the CBO estimates in these early years are really, you know, estimating losses in Medicaid based on people getting free coverage and then losing the mandate and then saying, well, they're not going to be on Medicaid anymore. But that doesn't make sense. That's one thing. Uh, in terms of premiums coming down, this this loss should, you know, do something in terms of lowering the premium levels. And, it, and it's going to be to the extent that they actually utilize the waivers. Uh, so the CBO score is going to be pretty uncertain on that, and they might not even give something for people to latch on to. Well, you know, uh, that's not the only number that's going to be part of this debate. The number of yes votes is going to be a very important number. And as we know, there are several Republican senators that are um, opposed to this bill. What that means, I think, is that this is going to be a fast-moving week. Uh, we may see amendments. We may see uh Big policy changes to try and get that number of yes votes up to 51. What are you paying close attention to as this as this debate unfolds? So it kind of comes from two sides, right? So you, you either have a law that is too conservative for moderates, uh, or not conservative enough for 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 the for your Ted Cruz's and your Mike Lees. Uh, it's effectively pretty crazy to think about this, that moderates are scared of the fact that Medicaid officially rolls back in like 2024, 2025. 
You have uh, to really be afraid of your own shadow to get worried about something that's going. <laughs> yeah, that might come to be uh, eight years from now. And especially if you actually are on the record voting for repeal, and then and then you sit there and you say, "Whoa, guys!" You know, I didn't mean that. Twenty twenty four might kidding. be <laughs> a little too soon. <laughs> It's it's definitely so. There's definitely some threading the needle that has to happen if we want to pass anything, uh, but it, but it is somewhat disappointing if you think about the the bigger picture for sure. All right, and I, one last question, I guess, kind of as we look to the future of this bill. So, assuming that the Senate gets to yes, then what comes next for it? I mean, then it goes to the president. Right? No, no, it has to go back to the House. Well, it has to go back to the House. Okay. First, yeah. So, I, I do you think, think it will we'll, make it through the House? So. Uh, um, I think the conservative concerns in the House mirror the conservative concerns in the Senate. So if the, right. if the bill is able to win conservative support in the Senate, should Pitch be able to win conservative support in the House. Now, the House is a more raucous crew. They have some factions in there that uh, that may try to make a stand. It's clearly, um, the most efficient process that could play out, the one that played out when they did this uh, repeal on reconciliation in 2015, the House passed a bill. Then the Senate passed the bill, and the House was willing to accept really whatever would 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 get to fifty one in the Senate. That's because that number fifty one that's that's the steepest hill mm-hmm. in this debate is is passing through the Senate. Now, as long as there aren't major objections to what the Senate passes in the House, the House will take it up and send it straight to the President. It'll be a pretty quick and clean process. However, if for instance something like um, the Hyde Amendment, which protects protects taxpayers from subsidizing abortion doesn't make it into the Senate bill or the or the pro-life fix to that isn't satisfactory, you could see an effort in the House to stop the Senate bill. So um, and and in that case, we might end up in conference where, you know, both chambers would nominate a conference committee and uh, come out with a new bill, a, a third bill. We'll have the AHCA, the BCRA, and then whatever the conference committee comes out, maybe that'll have a a new four-letter acronym. We'll see. But uh, those are your two options. Either the House passes exactly what the Senate passes, or we go to conference. So exciting times for for political nerds and, and legislative geeks. All right. And that will wrap our segment for today. I guess, again, we'll keep an eye on this and see what happens. Thanks so much for joining us, Drew. Thanks, Drew. All right. And keep up with Mass Ave. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and tell us how we're doing. Uh, Thanks to everyone who has already subscribed and reached out with encouragement and feedback. Your support helps us give you leading conservative insight in the best way possible. As always, this has been a fun week. Uh, As always, our aim is to bring you the most interesting stuff from inside the Heritage Foundation. That's a task made very easy by the great analysts here at Heritage. We're very proud of them uh, and we're interested in their work. Uh, Keep up with us uh, on Facebook. um, keep up with me on, uh, on on Twitter at Heritage OTH. That's um, that's a Twitter feed where we where we put out some of the work that Heritage is doing as far as Capitol Hill is concerned. So we look forward to seeing you in those places and seeing you next week.